I started buying in 2014 and now I have 12 units in four states. Oh, which what's are those? I'm in Colorado, Missouri, Florida, and Washington State. Any specific reasons or you just travel there? I'm investing ADD, I think. I like to tell myself <laughs> it's diversification. You're listening to the Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Welcome, 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 Azria listeners in the great state of Arizona. Welcome to another show of the Azria Show. I have my co-host and executive director, Mike Delpreet here. What's up, what's up? And today we have an awesome show. We're going to be talking about anything furnished. So Ziana McIntyre hails from Boulder, Colorado, and we're going to be talking about midterm rentals, short-term rentals, rentals in general. So how are you doing today, Ziana? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great, great, great. So kind of give us the background. What did you do pre-real estate? Kind of what were you doing? Yeah, well, my real estate journey started when I was 26, so not a lot. (laughs) I was working at a marijuana dispensary, actually, right before I kind of, that was my last real job. I had been a tour guide. I've been a massage therapist, but yeah, not not a whole lot. (laughs) So what was the court of real estate? Wait, what? What struck the chord? Yeah, so you're doing all these kinds of things. Was it, it was really, really accidental. So the way I first heard about Airbnb was back in 2011. And a friend of mine was living in New York City, where like the cities hear about the new stuff, the new trends first. And he had just gotten laid off uh, at his job and he was totally burnt out, but he was stuck in this lease that was really expensive in this apartment. And he's like, I don't know how I'm going to afford this. I'd rather go travel anyway. I heard about this Airbnb thing. I'm going to just try it out. And he was so persistent. He was like, wow, this thing is amazing. You've got to try it. And at the time I was in massage school, becoming a massage therapist. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I don't know what you're talking about. But after a year of him doing it and on a place he did not own, he had made $50,000. And so at that point, $50,000 was like $100,000 today. It was like a starting tech salary. I definitely perked up. I had never made that kind of money in my life. I got a spare bedroom. Why not? Let's just try this out. And who knew? Take over my whole life. Wow. So you started off with your bedroom in your house, an apartment. Yeah. So I was renting a two bedroom apartment and I had a roommate and I had furnished the whole place because I was already kind of house hacking. I knew I could charge more in rent if it was furnished. So when she left, it was really easy for me. I didn't have to buy anything. I already had sheets and towels and furniture. So I just threw it up on Airbnb and thought, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just get a roommate. And it was so good that I just kept doing it. That's great. Before we go down, so now you're starting that STR world, but Marcus yeah. has a question for you that I really want to know about. Yeah. So how <laughs> did you get into the international pet sitting and house sitting? Well, that's perfect. It's a perfect segue because okay. what I realized very quickly is that 
my roommate's former room would get rented out. And then I was like, well, I should start renting my room. But the problem is, where am I going to go? Right. It's cute mm-hmm. to stay on a friend's couch one night, but you can't do that for a long time. So I started pet sitting and I did a lot just word of mouth back then. But now there's a really great app that I use called Trusted House Sitters. And the app is so cool because you can see the how beautiful the houses are. People have profiles and photos and you can see their pets and everything. So it's not quite what it used to be before when it was word of mouth, I would go stay in some places that were not very nice. Mm-hmm. Now I only <laughs> stay in luxury homes. So I've okay. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that that was a thing. Yeah. Worldwide. It's incredible. So we've seen transition. So maybe, so you're saying you started str in your residence while you're going around the world house sitting yeah and a lot of times i would just do it locally in town but it was allowing me to free up a room that i could rent right so strs are seasonal and so there'd be times of year where it's so much money that you're like i gotta get out of here i gotta find another place to be and so that's kind of how i got into it and i've just kept up doing it like I told you guys before the show started, I am in one right now. <laughs> so it, wow. we're into it. Okay. So going into that whole world of STRs. So you did your bedroom and then you did your, well, actually you did your whole apartment. What was next kind of after that? Well, I knew I had to get another apartment, right? So I was having that problem already of like, well, there's no place for me, but there's still more demand. So I've got to go out and get a place. And so I borrowed $4,000 from my dad and I went and that was just enough for, I don't even know how I furnished it for that cheap, but I did. And it was first month's rent and deposit. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just kind of built from there and I would sometimes stay between the two apartments, sometimes pets it to get out. Okay. So you was doing like a rental arbitrage. You would rent it from a landlord and then re-rent it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So someone being new, right? Like you. So you just went and did it, right? Were you worried about what the lease says? Oh, I got a sublease this or anything along those lines. Did that come into play in the beginning? Yeah. So just a reminder to people, it was 2012. So nobody's lease said anything about Airbnb because people didn't know about it. So it didn't really catch fire and get as popular as it is today until maybe 2016 or later. So I had that working in my favor, but also against me because I couldn't be completely plain about what I was doing. So the closest thing I could find is that I had subletting allowed in my lease. I always made sure that was the case. And I knew that the arbitrage part for me was always temporary. I wanted to own because I wanted to control. I didn't want someone to tell me, oh, okay, well, we're deciding to sell and you've got to move or we're not going to renew your lease. So I knew I wanted to be as in the right as I could be by owning. Good point there. I had a clause where I would have the owner give us 90 days before they broke the news to us, if that was the case. So what, what can you share with us in regards to that? That's very, very important. You got this business humming on Airbnb, got it furnished, everything's going great and you could, it could be taken away. So what do you do to protect yourself now? Yeah. So now I don't do any arbitrage. So okay. my protection is that okay. I am the master. There you go. <laughs> yeah. How about, do you have any tips before you were the master? It was great for me. I found that I had good communication with my landlords. I always paid on time. There were just some basic things that if you're just a good tenant, you can have a good relationship. They want to keep you. 
I definitely had places that I was in two years or more. And so that worked out well for me. And that was all over Airbnb was your main source of marketing. Yeah. And then Verbo kind of came on the scene as well. Yeah. Very interesting. I noticed that like Airbnb had like the shorter stays, quicker stays, VRBO kind of had the, you know, maybe higher paying, longer term stays. I don't know if you saw it the same or. Yeah, they had more whole home and Airbnb still allowed people to do, you could rent out a couch if you wanted to in your living room, Mm -hmm. you could rent out a, a spare bedroom and Verbo didn't really allow that. So yeah, it was a different clientele. So now that you say you're, I'm assuming you're owning the properties now. Yes, now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you tell us about maybe that transition? Because I'm maybe how you analyze the deal, right? Running numbers yeah. is a traditional midterm, short-term. How are you looking at these, these buildings or houses? Yeah. So during the first couple of years that I was doing arbitrage, I got kicked out of places twice. So one was they, they owned the whole building and one of my neighbors ratted me out, but they were just basically like, I think it's really cool what you're doing. Just don't do it here. So they Mm -hmm. gave me my deposit and whatever. And I just (laughs) took the furniture and I moved to another place. And another time I kind of had a similar thing. And what was funny after it is the person that I rented to next, I found a subletter to take over my lease. She ended up Airbnb it after me. And then I found that landlord on Airbnb as well. And so I was just like, everybody's doing it. It's like, you can't stop the system. It's happening. But my transition to buying was really great because I got the opportunity to to use like Airbnb training wheels is what I kind of call it. But I had apartment that I was renting that was 1100 a month and it was a one bedroom apartment. And that was kind of, I think it was with my utilities and everything. And I had that place over a year and a half. And that apartment, I could earn $1,700 to $4,000 based on the month. And so when I went to go buy a property five minutes away, one bedroom, same idea, it its mortgage with HOA was nine fifty. dollars And I was like, well, I already have all the numbers. I've been doing this for a year and a half. And I got all the seasonality and everything. So it was so easy for me to just say, yeah, let's do it. There you okay. go. So when did you start buying? I started buying in 2014 and now I have 12 units in four states. Oh, which what's are those? I'm in Colorado, Missouri, Florida, and Washington state. Any specific reasons or you just travel there? I'm investing ADD, I think. I like to tell myself <laughs> it's diversification, but uh-huh. I think what happens is I do a lot of consulting with investors and I'll hear about a cool market. And I think the thing with short-term rentals was trying to get in front of all of the people and find a market early and then kind of grow with it. And nowadays that I'm moving more towards medium term, I find that what works really well there is being in one or two markets, period. So I am starting to kind of sell some of my places and corral them to one area. Okay. Uh, And I I was, that was kind of my segue to the medium term rentals, why did you pick one market over another when you transitioned to medium term rentals? Yeah. So some of my transitioning was out of necessity. So probably a bunch of listeners have experienced this where you're doing short-term rentals, humming along, and then regulations come in, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's like, oh, well, what am I going to do now? Rather than let them shut you down, which I think some people did, or they turned to long-term rentals, I I realized, oh, wow. So the law is 30 days. Well, what can we do after 30 days? 
just keep right. keep rolling. So I've transitioned a lot of my places then. And I was really intentional around COVID because that was sort of a period where short-term rentals died off for a little while. They came back mm-hmm. with a vengeance, but mm-hmm. they did die off. And we had to get creative as investors and go, well, I could have my place be vacant. Who wants that? So I just right. found a way. Okay. So do you think we're at a point with midterm rentals? Well, there's so many different names. Mark, you yeah. see medium, midterm, extended. You could do MTR. I like <laughs> Split the difference. I, I like that. So I kind of feel like, or I'm late to the game, that we're kind of in this beginning, like you said, short-term rentals. No one kind of knew it in the beginning. Do you think we're in that? Corporate housing has been around forever, right? Exactly. But, but like the trend, I, do you think we're in the beginning stages or where are we at? Yes. It is catching fire now. And mm-hmm. I, there's a few reasons. So just like you said, short-term rentals before Airbnb were around. They were vacation homes before then. And now there's this thing that everybody's excited about, this MTR, but you know, people always had executive rentals. It's just that now they're really different. So there's a couple of things. COVID changed the way that people work. And so a lot of people can work from anywhere. And so before COVID, the U.S. workforce was like 7% digital nomad or location independent. Mm -hmm. After COVID, it's over 42%. And so even though some of those people are going to go back to their office or a couple days a week, a lot of them won't. And so we've got this ability to kind of live anywhere, work anywhere. And I think that's also true with the Gen Z, this like next generation that's coming up and being of age and they're out buying homes they kind of want to have this experience of sampling the world and living all over. So this desire for furnished rentals, which there's really not enough out there, it's growing. And the last thing is travel nurses. And we've always had travel nurses, but there's been a real like deficit of them right now. And it happened because there was a lot of burnout in COVID. And so even now they say that we won't get back to pre-COVID levels in a few states until 2030. So the demand is really, really there. And these people don't really have a place to stay. Like check this out. We were on Furnish Finder and for Phoenix, there was like 21,000 requests in Phoenix last month. And there's 145 options for them to rent from. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's big. Definitely a market. Definitely a market. For sure. So- Ziana, why did you pick? So where are your MTRs now? What states are they? Yeah, so Colorado and Missouri. I'm trying to think if I, all of my places that are short-term can be medium-term. So we kind of do that in the winter time just to keep the vacancy down. But yeah, mostly Colorado and Missouri right now. Okay, so now are you targeting, so with the locations, are you targeting specific areas close to hospitals, close to entertainment districts? Or is it just regular community neighborhoods? Yeah. So I think urban is best because you've got a big tenant pool. And I like to use hospitals as kind of a landmark. And so I tell people to be within, like if they can find a place that has a cluster of hospitals, Denver has this where there's like five in one little area that really works well. But if you can be within five miles, which is like a 20 minute commute of two hospitals, that really helps. And even though the travel nurse is not your only tenant, 
it's just going to give you a steady flow. And then from there, you can figure out what other tenants you want. But like Boulder, for example, we've got a big university. We've got a lot of tech companies, scientists coming in, digital nomads just wanting to snowboard or whatever. We got a lot. So it's pretty rare, actually, that I have nurses, but we're still pretty close to a hospital. And that's a good thing. Your podcast, and you, I think you mentioned it. It was like a group of you. And you mentioned hospitals and hospital complexes. Yeah. Can you clarify the difference for some that may not know. Yeah. So there's parts of the U.S. that have, like I said, this kind of cluster of hospitals. So they've got like a bunch all together. Denver has it. St. Louis is why it's such a good market there. They have a bunch. Cleveland. There's a couple of places that that are known for just having big hospitals. And if you're saying like, I can invest anywhere in the U.S. and you want to just go buy hospital, you can just do a search top 10 hospitals and go from there. Right. So it doesn't have to be rocket science. Do you think there'll be like a slowdown on like traveling nurses isn't the only option, obviously, in this business, but with COVID, it seemed like there was a ramp up of nurse, the need for that. So is there less now? Uh, I don't think so. So uh, like I said, there was kind of this big burnout that happened through COVID. I think they're still trying to replenish. And there's some areas that are going to always need travel nurses. So the reason there are travel nurses is because some areas just don't produce enough nurse students, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're in more of a rural market, there's a guy who teaches about uh, medium term. His name is Jesse Vasquez. Mm -hmm. And he's in Central California in Modesto. And it's kind of nowhere California. And the thing there is that they're only producing maybe 30 nurses a year. Hospital needs way more than that. So he constantly has influx of nurses coming in. So it is good to to reach out to the hospital and figure out, okay, what kind of nurses are you bringing in? And it could be traveling medical professionals, all kinds. God, is there any marketing avenues besides Furnished Finder that you're leveraging or doing to get keep your units filled? So there's kind of two ways to fill these units. So one of the ways is through Airbnb and Furnish Finder. Between those two, you can kind of just fill it easily. But if you want to make even more money with less units, you can put in the effort to try to get these relationships for direct contracts. So -hmm. contracts come through the hospitals, through recruiters. It can come through insurance companies, government contracts. There's a bunch of different ways. And that takes a little upfront work because you've got to build the relationships. But once you do, they'll keep coming back to you. And so that's why I kind of want all my places in one town, because I can say, hey, I'm I'm the person for Denver and I've got six places and they just want to keep working with you. Love it. I like that direct part because I feel like in the short term world, Airbnb became trendy. And anyone yeah. just jumps in, right? Which is fine. But I think if you can go to that direct route outside of the websites, you're now you're building a business, right? Yeah. Not too, yeah. not too many people. If people are just jumping in to be trendy, they don't know how to build a business. I think that could be your advantage. A lot of people don't realize that Furnish Fighter is actually like the discount place for nurses to go. So uh-huh. if there's someone a little bit higher up, like a doctor, they're going to just have their recruiter or agency place them. They don't care. But if they're kind of like just starting as travel nurse, trying to keep as much money as possible, they'll say, hey, just give me the travel stipend directly and I'll go out and try to find a deal. And so they go to Furnish Finder, they go to Facebook groups and they try to find something cheap. 
And so there is a lot more room. You can be making as much as a short-term rental or more if you build out those contract relationships. Wow. Very, very good. So is there a, because we started doing some research, Mike, and I had my wife to start doing some research for Longwood. So do you just contact the hospitals and ask them in regards to, hey, what services do you guys use for finding properties for traveling nurses? Or is there something different? Yeah. So it sounds like you already have properties there. If somebody was coming into an area going, okay, I really want to focus on traveling medical professionals. They can look at what rating the hospital has. So hospitals always have a trauma level and the trauma level one and two are kind of like Gray's anatomy. They're like ER and more extreme. And then as they get higher in number, they just do less. They can only take on so much. And so those trauma level one and two are the ones that generally have travel nurses And it's super easy. You can just Google the name of the hospital and it just pops up. So it's not like you have to call anybody. And then you also want to look at like the size. So we look for places that have over 300 beds in the hospital. And so the reason being is that in these kind of ER scenarios, it's usually one patient to one nurse. So you're getting an idea of how many nurses they have to have on staff. And so if you get further than that, and you want to call, like if you already own in this area, you want to call them, you can find out from their HR department, what percentage are traveling nurses versus ones that are local. And you can kind of build a relationship that way and see who they're working with. The last piece I'll tell you is that if you go on Indeed or Monster Jobs, you can just put in traveling RN in your city. So RN is a registered nurse. And in that it'll populate jobs. So in Denver within, I don't know, 20 miles, there's 500 job listings. So you can call those recruiters. And yes, again, it's a little upfront work. I have my assistant do it. You can get like a VA or something, Mm -hmm. but you can call those recruiters and build relationships and say, Hey, if you're going to be looking for people here, how can I help make your job easier? Look at you. Those are some great tips. Yeah, trying to get those tips for sure that that you've definitely done this. So talking about like the marketing. Okay, so a couple ideas and how to get people how to fill it. But then there's always that worry, especially if you're newer about vacancy. So is there any tips, resources around vacancy? anything you can share with us around that? Yeah. I mean, there's just so much demand that I don't really see a problem. So I've got a friend with 28 units in Cleveland. They're Mm -hmm. full. I've got another friend in Denver with nine units. She's got two fourplexes and a, I think a single unit in her house or something. They're all full. She said we had four days available since January. So it's just, there's such a demand. And the thing that you need to be smart about is calendar management. So if you're doing short and medium term together, then it doesn't matter as much because you can use short term to fill in gaps. But if you're in a place like Denver or Boulder, where it's not legal to do short term, then you have to be creative. And so one thing I do is I only open my calendar five weeks at a time. So after I know somebody says, okay, we're leaving at the end of the month or whatever, I'll open just the next five weeks. And the reason I do that is because I want somebody to put in a request, but not put in a a request so far in advance that I have a weird three-week gap that I can't use. Right. So you, I don't let them instant book. I make them make a request. 
And then a lot of times these people are really flexible. They're driving out. So you could say, hey, actually, could you come two days earlier? Is that interesting to you? And they might. So you can really kind of massage those gaps. And I generally have, I could have somebody come in the exact day, but because you want to be nice to your cleaners, I usually give them a day in between. So is there talking about calendar management? Is there like processes and systems that you have like for your calendar or a certain website or resources that you use to run the MTR business? Yeah. So just like short-term rental, like they're starting to market a lot to medium-term and it's still new. So there's not a lot of automations yet, but I try to like trim all the noise and keep it down to three websites. So I use, I use price labs. So I want to have pricing software. So if you're pricing your unit and saying, I saw in there, everybody's charging $3,000 a month and you keep it stagnant at $3,000, you're leaving money on the table because what's happening is that it's seasonal, just like a short-term rental. There's going to be time where there's a lot more people coming and they'll pay more. So an example of that is I have a one bedroom in Boulder and it is $2,500 a month mostly, but in June I can get 3,000, 3,500 July, I can get 4,000. And so I want to make sure that I'm adjusting my prices for that. Right. So that's why you're on Airbnb and not just furnish finder, even though furnish finder is less competition. Price slabs, price slabs. Yeah. Price slabs. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then the other two I use is it's called hospitable, but mostly what it does is automated messaging. And so the reason I do that is because I want to keep down the communication. So even if I have someone who booked on Furnish Finder, I can enter them manually into it and have their email and they get the same emails that any Airbnb guest would get. And I do that so that I'm not getting like questions all the time. Where's the trash? What's the Wi-Fi code? I get ahead of them. So I'm giving them those messages and I put my series of messages, I think it's seven messages. I put them all in the book, 30 day stay, because I wanted people to literally be able to copy and paste or put it into their own words. But I think that's super valuable. And then the last thing we use is a veil. So a veil is a free software and it allows you to get a lease for whatever state you are. So you guys can say Arizona, and then it'll just let you fill in the blanks, e-sign there without having to upload and send and whatever. And then it also collects the down payment, not down payment, security deposit and rent. So you link it to their bank account. You don't have to know any of their bank information. It just automatically pulls it whatever day of the month you guys decide. And so you're not having to remember and get Venmo requests and do all this kind of stuff. It's really automated. Is it A-V-A-I-L? Yeah. And that's- I'm not sure if it's .co or com. I can look, but avail. That's the lease that you use with the guest tenant. Yeah. So I only do a lease if it comes off a furnish finder, but you can do a lease if you're feeling worried about it for people on Airbnb. I just don't because I kind of trust the air cover- Mm-hmm. And go from there. Well, just take a brief break here. We're from our sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll start tying everything up, start wrapping everything up. This has been great information. I'm taking notes. If you guys are at home listening, you guys need to be taking notes as well. So let's take a brief break and we will be right back. Are your real estate dreams on hold? With work, kids, everything else going on, time is limited. Most days you feel like the world's on your shoulders. You might even say to yourself, 
If I just had someone to lean on and push me in the right direction, I know things would happen quicker. Well, then you need to check out the Deal Finders Club, a community of investors eager to close more deals, sign more contracts, and just get ahead in life. The DFC provides weekly coaching, thriving online community, and all the education you need to be confident. DFC is your fastest path to closing more deals. To learn more, head over to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. All right, guys, we are back, and we're definitely talking about STRs and MTRs, which is short-term rentals and mid-term rentals. And right now, Zian, I, I really want to ask you because I'm curious, how do you approve or reject certain tenants? Are there any red flags that you see that warrant you to say, no, you know what, I'm not going to accept this guest? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I don't accept anymore, and I used to, is pets. I don't go for that anymore. And the reason being is a lot of the tenants end up being traveling nurses and they are gone 12 hours a day. And so that pet is left alone to do damage. So we try not to do that. And it also just makes it hard on the furniture. But if you're talking about tenant screening, there's a couple of things that I think are important. So we always try to talk to the tenant and just get a vibe first before we spend any time on them. So we, we get their landlord reference after that, and we always get the government ID because we want the ID to match the lease, right? You don't want someone to just say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and then you put it on a lease and it's not actually legal, right? So we always get that. And then if you want to background check somebody, we there's definitely ways to do that through a veil. I usually make them pay for it. But if I have a nurse or a medical professional that's traveling, I know that they're highly background checked. So I might just ask them for proof of employment. So if they've got okay. a job and they've got a contract, then I feel pretty good about that. And so it's just a matter of calling their landlord and, and getting a vibe for, were they paying on time? Were, did they leave the house in a good way? Kind of things. Were there any complaints about them? Now, do you have any horror stories? Come on, Ziana, give us a good horror story. Okay, it's... Normally, no, it's so weird, but, um, and I've been doing this 10 years, so, you know, grain of salt, but there, there was a place that I sold with a tenant in place and it kind of happened fast. It was a cash offer. And I think we sold it in like 10 or 15 days and the real estate agent didn't transfer the tenant to a lease. So she was just on Airbnb And I thought, oh, it's great. She's on Airbnb. They can extend from there. I'll just end her contract on Airbnb and then give them the rent and they'll just continue from there. Well, this lady who had been totally fine the whole time, I think we'd had her in three or four months already and she just kept extending. I don't know if she was a nurse or what. She flipped out. She started saying like, oh, I don't know if this person is actually the new owner. Like she wanted proof. She didn't want to pay. She said she'd already paid through Airbnb and she wasn't getting as much of a refund. I don't, it was a whole thing. So she literally destroyed the house. Oh, I know all the furniture destroyed the walls. I never saw the pictures, which I'm glad because we had just refurnished it and everything. But it was after we sold it. So it wasn't really my problem anymore. But right, right. <laughs> it seemed so fine. We had no issues with her for months. And I just don't know if she was having some kind of mental issue. Wow. So, so speaking of damage, what happens on the MTR where you don't have that Airbnb coverage? Like, what do you do to protect yourself in that way? 
Yeah. I mean, so luckily that's such extreme damage that for that new owner, they're able to go through their insurance because it's seen as, what do they call it? Vandalism. Vandalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But so she was okay, but it's still a headache, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Generally, we just do a very simple deposit. So I know that traveling nurses are going from place to place and they might not have a deposit over at one place and then have to do it on your place as well. And so they don't necessarily have a lot of extra cash. And so I just do a simple thousand dollar deposit and I take the cleaning fee out of that. And so that's worked out well for me. There's only been maybe two times that I've ever had to say, well, you know, it was a little more than the cleaning fee. It was kind of excessive. Let me take another hundred dollars or another $50, but I've never had to use the entire deposit. Love it. So no insurance policies, or I'm thinking more arbitrage, I guess, is where I'm coming from. I know you own now. So it's like if someone arbitraging, is there anything you'd share with them? Is it still just a deposit or? Yeah. I mean, maybe I would take a bigger deposit. Uh, If you're arbitraging, do you have renter's insurance? I don't even really know what you do at that point. Yeah. I mean, maybe you get a short-term rental insurance, like slice or something where you pay by the night. Okay. And then it's different. There is somebody that is a short term rental and medium term rental operator. Like she's a manager. I think mm-hmm. she manages like a hundred places now. And wow. one thing she did is she got her license to be able to sell this insurance product. And basically what it was is traveler's insurance for these people for their time there. And so at that point, she doesn't have to collect a deposit. And the policy was like, 70 bucks or something super cheap. And it would cover, I think up to 3000 in damage or something. So she just had people buy a policy instead of holding a deposit. Yeah, oh, you can do wow. different things. That's different. Yeah. I know what, I know what some regulations, cause we were kind of talking about this about a week ago. There's some regulations now where the cities are starting to require not only just regular homeowners insurance or rental insurance, but like liability coverage also for tenants. Are you aware of any of that or have you caught wind of any of that yet? So all of our properties are under an umbrella policy. And because of that, you have to have your liability maxed out. So we do it already. I haven't heard anything like that, but yeah, I don't put my homes into LLCs. So I just use the umbrella insurance instead. Everybody kind of has their own way of doing it. So I would think like even here in Arizona, slowly but surely, some of the cities are having their own restrictions outside of insurance and stuff like that. So do those apply to midterms? Usually not. So usually after 30 days, it's kind of lumped into a long-term rental. And that's yeah. one of the things that's great is that you just kind of fly under the radar. In short-term rentals, you have extra taxes and fees and things that you have to do. Sometimes it's harder to get the license or you'll have to do an inspection. We don't really have any of that. Once you get into that long-term category, it's a lot easier. And is there any issues with like the the leases? Like if you're doing like a three-month lease or a six-month lease versus a year, besides the time frame, is there anything different in those leases? Not really. I mean, one thing that I write in, but you can just do whatever, is I tell them, you can extend. We can go to month after if you decide. Because sometimes nurses get their 13-week contract and then they extend and they get another 13 weeks. So it's like six months instead of three months. If people want to extend, I'm happy to go just kind of ongoing, but I need two weeks notice. So I don't ask for 30 days because I just want to keep the flexibility for people to stay longer, but I ask for two weeks. That gives me enough time to fill it. Love it. Wow. Okay. So what's next? With the, uh, <laughs> your next, so you're 
you got the international pet sitting, you got some short term, so you own some properties, you're doing midterm, what else, anything new coming up? Or are you just growing your business or maintaining it? What are you doing? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been so busy with the book. So the book came out at the beginning of this month. I don't know when we're going to air. It's going to be rolling out on Amazon next month. And so it's just been a lot of promo to kind of get it out. And so that's okay. made me a lot busier than I normally want to be. I find that like my thing in real estate is not just how many properties and how much cash flow and what's my net worth. It's more like how much free time do I have? I like to work like 20 hours a week. And so when things start leaking into my life, then I'm not, I'm crabby. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> so that's it's about balance. Yeah, that's a good perspective because a lot of people look at they they say, you know what, I want to make sure I have a net cash flow of X amount of dollars. Your net is free time, you know, how much free yeah. time I have so I can go and pet sit all across the globe. Yeah, I want to enjoy my life. So we don't get to keep it all, right? Yep. True. So give us some insights on your book. I see it's 30 days stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's 30 days stay, the real estate investor's guide to mastering the medium term rental. And we did medium term because at the time a year ago, when we were writing the book, the medium term versus midterm, there wasn't really a term for it yet. So now I'm just like MTR, whatever, but that's what I called it. And I co-wrote it with Sarah Weaver and the book is really like an A to Z. We wanted to make it really a deep dive that if somebody never invested in real estate and they wanted to start here, they could literally buy a place after and start making cash flow on it. And we included a lot of case studies and personal stories. A lot of it's from women investors because we're both women. And we wanted to just show that there are places in real estate where women do really well. Usually hospitality is a great space for you to start. So yeah, I think it's a great book. I'm really proud of it. Awesome. When's it come out? Thanksgiving? So no, it's already out on Bigger Pockets, And so you can go to Bigger Pockets If you use my name, Ziana, as a code, you get 10% off. Awesome. Okay. All right. So guys, you know what to do. You got the instructions. Go over to Bigger Pockets, get the 30-day stay book. Ziana definitely has a wealth of information pertaining to uh, short-term rentals and mid-term rentals. So Ziana, how can we reach you? How can we get in contact with you? Yeah. So they can just go to my website, ZianaMcIntyre.com, which is just my name. And I'm also on Instagram and YouTube. Instagram, it's Ziana McIntyre. And I answer all my DMs. So if you guys want to reach out there, definitely reach out. Love all it. right. We got to get a picture. All right. Yep. Go ahead. Love it. Love it. Perfect. Yay. Thank you. Well, Thanks, Diana. It was definitely a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. You gave us a wealth of information. In parting, do you have any words of encouragement for investors that are starting in the midterm rental space? Yeah, I don't really know what assets you guys have there. I'm not sure if you guys get a lot of multifamily, but I think that if you can combine this MTR strategy with house hacking, that's the best way to get started because you can get into you know, two to four units, you can get into it with 3% down, three and a half percent down and just get going. And if you're already living there, at least you're utilizing some of the property. You can watch the tenants. You have just a little more control. So I think that's the way to get going. Great advice. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much.
Thanks, Thank Jay. you so much, Deanna. We really appreciate it. Guys, you know what to do. Get out there, take massive action, and we will see you on our next episode of The Ezria Show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Ezria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.